Welcome to React Roundup. We have a great panelist episode for you this week. We have myself, Jack Harrington, as well as Paige Niederinghouse. Hey, everyone. And TJ Van Toll. Hey, everybody. And this week, we're going to cover a topic that I actually did in a video on my channel around advice for junior engineers from senior developers that will basically secrets that the senior developers have learned in their careers, mostly about kind of job stuff kind of, or really anything, I guess. Keep it very open and just to help you out in your career. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there, and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendev.com. And I'll start off. And the, the first thing that I did in my video, the first one, first secret was, and, and this is actually, I think the most controversial one, is that there are stupid questions. And I will preface that by <laughs> saying, there are questions you might wanna think twice before asking. And here's my thinking on this. So if you ask a question that is easily Googleable or something that you can debug through, first off, and my daughter reminded me of this, you're missing an opportunity. You're missing an opportunity to learn how to Google, how to debug, how to actually work through the issue, how to read those error messages. I mean, sometimes all the information you need is in the error message and it just looks like a big bunch of blah, right? And learning how to parse through that, that's a good job skill. So don't deny yourself that opportunity. Give yourself, say, you know, 15 to 30 minutes to kind of work through the opportunity if you're blocked. And then if you're still blocked, at the end of it, not only will you have had the learning of trying to work through it, but you'll also have basically some material that you can present to whoever you're asking, saying, this is what I did. You know, here's here's the steps that it takes to get to the problem that I'm seeing. And here is what I tried to do to solve it. And that's a lot better than just kind of like throwing up your hands and saying, I don't know. And so, but it was controversial. I know a lot of folks out there have, have strong opinions about it. So I'm very interested. What do you guys think about this? I second that. For me, it makes a lot of sense exactly what you're saying. It's like if somebody comes to me, another developer, and they have not tried anything yet, it feels kind of just like you're copping out. Like you you haven't even given it a shot. Right. And Here, let me give you my problem. Right. You, yeah, right. Yeah, you're supposed to be adding value to this team. And instead, you're just taking up somebody else's time without even having tried anything that you can say, you know, I tried XYZ, that didn't work. I tried yeah. ABC, that didn't work either. And, you know, now I'm stuck that <laughs> I am so much more willing to help you because you've at least told me some things that you attempted that didn't work. So I can see which direction you're going. And then maybe we just need to 
reset and start going in a different direction. I mean, I've I've done that so many times where I've tried to I've started going down one rabbit hole and then at team check in or something, I'll say this is the direction I'm going. I'm hitting these roadblocks and somebody will say something that is really obvious, but is completely not what I was thinking about how to solve the problem. And it makes way more sense and it works so much better. But if you can't even say that you've already tried a couple of things to and this is the issues that you had, nobody's going to be able to really suggest something that makes more sense or is potentially a better solution because you haven't done anything that's worth (laughs) commenting on yet. Yeah. Well, this applies for getting online help as well. Like if you Mm. use something like GitHub issues or Stack Overflow or something like that, if you just dump a stack trace into a Stack Overflow post you're not going to actually get anything that's going to help you out because no one's going to be able to know what that means. Unless like, the, unless your area is super obvious or simple. Yeah. What right. helps a lot more is if you can really understand what the issue is yourself before you try to take that next step. So some of that can mean you've done your due diligence and sort of searching around yourself, trying to Google the problem. It can also be trying to isolate the problem down to one small thing. So yes. it's it's not working is not particularly helpful. <laughs> if you can get them down to one specific piece, oh, I can for sure say that the problem is happening in this library or mm-hmm. this line of code or this function is where things are going wrong. Well, all of a sudden you've taken a really big problem and made it into something that's more manageable for you to figure out and also easier to ask for help for, mm-hmm. whether it's online or whether it's your coworker. So it's yeah. It's not that there's there's no stupid question. Well, I guess it is a in, a in a sense there is a stupid question, but it's it's more like it's like anything else. If you're not prepared, if you don't do your work, you're gonna get the the, the return that you put into it. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So much so. Yeah. You know, and, it, and the ability to say also it was working until X, and then I did Y. Like I I, oh, I bumped the version on this library, and then mm-hmm. boom, right? That's ridiculous. Um, you know, it, that's one of those doctor, it hurts when I do this, don't do this things. Maybe not, but yeah, you, know, you know, or maybe we need it, you know, but that, try and work through those issues. <laughs> but be able to understand like where it stopped working. I, I, I find a lot of people and this is what I find in junior developers is sometimes they get scared a little bit of running code. And it's easier just to write code than it is to run it and, and actually see the problem. Mm-hmm. And I really encourage folks to just Write a little bit, run it. Write a little bit, run it. Write a little bit, run it. Because if you write, 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 and then run, it's going to blow up. And you're going to be like, I don't know. It could be anywhere in here. It's like I wrote 80 lines. It could be any one of those. <laughs> it, could yeah. be, it could be more than one bug. You know? I touched 10 files before I tried it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Right? <laughs> That's actually a good segue into one that I have continued to relearn as I have gone along in my career, which is commit the code when it works. Not Mm. after you've decided to refactor it and you're kind of halfway through the refactoring. I did this a couple weeks ago where I was trying to make my code cleaner and smarter and I ended up breaking it for about three hours and couldn't figure out what I had done and and kind of had to just go through the commits to figure and comment stuff out and finally get back to working. Hey, Paige, you broke up in the middle, so maybe just take it from... Like the, the, top. The, the top for like, yeah, one other tip I've been into. That's a good segue to lead into. Dang it, that was so good. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, what's funny too is you cut off right off on like the cliffhanger too. Right, like it was. We're, we're like, what? 
<laughs> but you probably should take it from the top. Sure. Sorry about that. That's okay. So another good thing that that kind of segues into is something that I keep relearning as I go along in my career, which is to commit code when it works, not after you have refactored it and made it cleaner and smarter and more elegant. I did this to myself a couple of weeks ago where I was trying to make code that was already working look better and work nicer and be more flexible. And I broke my own code for about two and a half, three hours and spent an afternoon kind of just commenting stuff out and looking back at old commits. And it was just a complete waste of time. And if I had just not put in those four lines or committed my code before I added them, it would have saved me a whole ton of time. (laughs) And you can commit before you push, right? You can commit locally a bunch of times. And you can even squash that commit before you push and push it up. So it doesn't look like it's one like has a bunch of commits. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah. But just being able to undo and figure out was working here. So what did I change in between now and then would have saved me a whole bunch of time. (laughs) I remember back in the day when I did Java development, the the Eclipse based framework that I was using had this comment or this concept of saving off like your session or like your state at periodic intervals, you know, like every 15 minutes, it would save all your files where they were at. And I remember at times because the source control we were using at the time was some some awful enterprise something right that barely were there was no concept of commits, things were not very easy, (laughs) things were not very easy to use. So sometimes you'd run into this situation where it's like, well, crap, this was just working. What what the heck changed? And then I found myself going into Eclipse's menu and go like, oh, well, let's see what was going on at 1015, right? Jump back to, to that point in time. It was just the most god-awful process of going back to some random state of my app and see like saving off files to the desktop, right? And moving oh, things yeah. around until you get things to work. So you're like halfway through an if statement. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yes, I, that's, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, <laughs> well nice. it kind of worked, but yeah. yeah. So it's a long way of me saying I, I plus one, you know, commit, you can do it. Local commits cost you nothing. And then you have a point in time that you can always refer back to that you can push, you can merge, you can do whatever with, but at least it gives you that point in time to refer back to. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes you're just so you get so far down the wrong path that it it just makes more sense to just throw everything away. So if you can go back to a state where it was working and then kind of approach it again, there's a very good chance that you can figure out a better way than the the way you were going where everything stopped working. And I would say I, I kind of commit in themes. It's like, okay, I just finished refactoring like the auth stuff, you know, and it works. And now I'm going to like refactor with the CSS, right? Or something like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. and so once that theme is done and right. And then like, and then I do this, the CSS stuff. And yeah, that, that generally kind of nicely bucketizes things. It's like, oh, okay. That break point of like that gig commit, I can just roll back there. Mm-hmm. Now I'm at least got off. It's like putting a piton on your rock climbing. Like, okay, I'm at least when I fall, I'm only going to fall this far. I'm not going to fall off the cliff and die. <laughs> Well, actually, maybe I can use that just to keep the theme going of a segue, because uh, I think that touches on something that I've learned the hard way over the years, and that that's whenever you're doing something like a big project, whether it's like a migration or a, or some sort of giant project, to always look to ways so you can split that up into smaller problems. Mm-hmm. And that's both from a technical perspective, because if you try to be like 
I'm going to refactor these 100 files that can also that can just be hard to do. Uh, if you're working on a team that can also hold up the team because they're waiting for these 100 files to come in because you don't want to create all these merge conflicts or whatever. So we can throw your team into a mess, mess things up, planning and whatnot as well. But it's also psychological as well that seeing some progress, just pushing some things forward just really helps you <laughs> see yes. see the finish line because yes. I've also over the years been part of projects like this that just never happened because someone would start going into it you get 30 40% of the way through it and then some other production issue comes up something that pulls you off of it or whatever and that work you did for these couple of weeks just gets completely abandoned because you never get back to it where is if you have an incremental plan uh, you can ship incremental points you can find ways of getting out there it can sometimes be a challenge to find these points, but it's, in my opinion, pretty much always worth trying to find something uh, just because it leads to greater success. It's kind of where the whole uh, part of how the whole agile methodology came about, too, because mm. it sort of embraces that sort of way of approaching problems. And that works at the macro for the big projects. You know, as you say, like phase everything, right? You know, it, phase and have every deliverable at each phase have makes sense. But it also works at the micro level of like, if somebody gives you a challenging problem and you're like, man, I don't even know where to start with this. Thing. Mm -hmm. like, take any point at which you, it's like, oh, well, first you need to read a JSON file. Okay, I need, I know how to do that, right? That's one thing I can do. And and you, as you say, you just get some momentum, some going. And it's, oh, now I've got, oh, wow. Okay, at least I've got some sort of traction. I guess 5% of this thing done. And then the, and commit that using mm -hmm. Paige's point. And then move on to the next thing. Keep, you know, just keep on adding uh, adding to it. And eventually you'll find that the size of the unknown gets to be uh, like a 20-line block. You're like, okay, no, this is the real nut. I don't even know how to, like, like, something in there. But, like, at least you've got the stuff around it. Yep. Yeah. All right. So another one from my video, because I guess it's almost no good segue on this one, but uh, <laughs> show, show your value early. So what I, I mean by that is, You've gotten into a new job, you've gone past the interview, and you've gotten what offer and all that, and you've gotten on the team. And I think people think of that as like, okay, I'm done. Like, I've, I've shown my, I, I'm ready. The team trusts me. No, they don't. Like, the, the team doesn't trust you until you've actually put code into production. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of these like startups, they'll keep like, when you get on the team, they'll have like a bucket of little issues, like, you know, change this line of text or move this button around. The kind of thing that takes an engineer who's been on the team for a while, like, Two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, you know, nothing. But mm -hmm. it's going to give you an opportunity to go through the code base, get it installed, get it up and running, have a look around, find the thing, do the commit, go through CICD, go through code review, get your butt kicked in the code review. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, get it out into production. And then that's going to give you that sense of like, one, I'm accomplished. I've actually done something on the team. And two, it's going to give the other folks that trust in you. And I think a lot of folks, when they get onto a team and they don't, and they see that happen, they're like, oh, my gosh, is this like the segment? This is like a interview part three. And it's no, no, no. They're giving you an opportunity to kind of to show to get to make get that credibility. And so you mm -hmm. kind of should grab onto that. And if the team doesn't do that, like you come through the first the first morning stand up, you're like, hey, I'm Jack. Why? Nice to meet you. I And they don't give you a bug. Then then say, hey, is there something that I can do is some little thing that I can just go and get into the code base right now, that would help me out a lot and, and mm -hmm. make that opportunity for you. Yeah. I think it's always also the best way to learn too. Mm -hmm. the whole trial by fire thing that yeah. it's, 
it's one thing to see tutorials on programming languages or, or whatever it is you're trying to learn, even tutorials that are like domain specific to whatever it is you are working on. It's another thing to be thrown into a real problem because then you have to actually learn the systems in a very real way. And that's going to stick and that's going to help you more in the long run than working on something, I guess, a little more trivial or not super conducive to whatever it is you're working on. So I, I definitely agree. Good to get get uh, get in on something real, bite off something, uh, see what you can do. Well, and one thing that I might recommend that's happened for me at two of my jobs that I've done programming-wise is asked to pair with somebody who's mm. been on the team or who knows that code base well. Because not only do you start to get a feel for how the code is structured and, you know, what what do we follow in terms of writing writing good code or writing for this particular code base, but you also start to get a feel for how do we make pull requests? You know, is there a specific pattern that we follow? Is there, do our unit tests a requirement of PRs? Do end-to-end -end tests figure into this? And you just get to ask the questions that you wouldn't necessarily yeah, right then, get answers in the from. flow of the conversation you know as exactly. you're building out the feature you're like like oh no don't i wouldn't do it that way or we wouldn't do it that way we do that this way i mean right. that, that will save you from that pr slamming of like your mm -hmm. first like big pr goes in they're like whoa this is not our well, if you've done the pair programming thing yeah you get that kind of like as just part of the conversation yeah so you get to you know you get to beat your coworkers a little bit more and get yeah. to know them. And you also get to see how development is done for this particular team. You know, what kind of things are observed? Is this a particular style of architecture, like clean architecture? Do we care much about testing at all? Maybe we don't. But you get, you kind of just get a feel for that as well as being able to contribute and learn and kind of bounce ideas off of one another. So if that is an option and you're not like the only developer just joining somewhere, definitely try and do that because it's immensely helpful for me at least to get going faster and feel like I'm being a useful member of the team a lot earlier. It's the one exception to that kind of there are dumb questions rule in a, in a, in a uh, one of those environments where you're doing that pair programming. It's just so rapid fire. Don't don't even worry about respect or whatever you're going to meet the kids the person's kids as they come in the room and they're going to be like <laughs> jumping around it's just a good time just don't worry about it you know their mistakes are fine yeah if you can do that that is that is a great way to get on a team it really is yeah yeah and i guess one like corollary to there are stupid questions is you you definitely shouldn't be afraid to ask questions especially yeah, in these these situations because there's everybody's always going to get stuck. I, I think this is even more true in remote teams because sometimes you feel like I'm afraid to ping this important person because what if they're <laughs> in some important sales meeting and deciding <laughs> the fate of the business or, or whatever. And you probably shouldn't necessarily ping those people with trivial questions. But also if you are blocked, if you're, you cannot perform your job because of something, you should be reaching out in some capacity mm -hmm. because you're not doing anybody any good if you can't figure out uh, whatever situation you're in, if there's somebody that can help, as long as you've done the your due diligence that we talked about earlier, absolutely speak up. You don't want to be just sitting around blocked for oh, yeah. days at a time. Right. Yep. And that's actually a perfect segue, TJ, for the next <laughs> next point, which you're is so to just, just be nice. <laughs> yes. You know, this is huge, but don't come into a new company and 
hate everything that they have ever written and yeah. just, yeah. you know, just be that person who's like, why did you do it this way? Why is this? Why is this data so bad? Why is this structure not well? Well, my team didn't do it that way. Don't be that person. Be that person who assume that you know nothing, that there mm. is legacy code, that this company has been around for some amount of time before you got here and they were doing the best they could with what they had and try and make it better. But don't be that person who just hates everything and is like, this is a terrible idea. I don't know why anybody would do this. And just because it'll get you so much further if you ask questions like, why was this built this way? Try to understand those reasons and then try and make it better because that's what you were hired to do anyway. So just be likable. <laughs> oh I, I think the only consistency throughout every job I've ever had is that the previous developer was always the worst. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yes. It, it's like, no matter what, because it, it's so easy to pass blame on, well, why is this code so slow? Or why can't we make changes fast enough? It's like, well, when whoever was here before, they architected it this way. We don't know why, right? Especially if that person's no longer with the company. Oh, man, then it's free yeah. reign on this oh, person, yeah. right? Never, like they... Yeah. they never with the company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That they they made the absolute worst architectural decisions. And like nobody understands it, but we're our next refactor is gonna totally fix it though. So yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, like you over time to get into like this what senior developers know is that code is full of trade-offs and it's full of strange requirements. And if you see some strange thing that's happening in in the code. Chances are it's not because somebody purposely designed it this way to be slow or hard to read or whatever, but they had some business requirements and maybe they documented this really well. You know, maybe they didn't. Maybe comments and meetings were kind of lost to time. But mm -hmm. you know, the, sometimes requirements come in, things happen over time. A lot of the apps that we work on are very complex. There's lots of moving pieces. There's lots of people involved uh, and it can be a mess. So I agree with your words. Just try to be kind and considerate. There were humans that were building this that probably had the best intentions in mind and were trying to design something that could be used well. Mm -hmm. Very often, I mean, it's been very rare in my career that I've encountered someone that was truly a not nice person or true was truly trying to be like acting in bad faith. Those those people oh, are yeah, few, few and far between. Like most people are trying to just go about their day, get the get the job solved, ship some usable software and go on with their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anybody who's been in the business for, oh, I don't know, more than a couple minutes is going to tell you they'd rather work with somebody who's competent and nice, easy to work mm -hmm. with, just a nice person, personable versus an insanely super talented person who's just a complete jerk. So like, <laughs> yeah. it can be 10x good yeah. but if you're if you're also like 10x at bringing the team down and making everybody else feel like rubbish mm -hmm. and that's not fun that's not fun to be around it's not fun to manage it's not fun to lead it's not just it's just it, it never I've, I've i've definitely worked unfortunately once or twice in an environment yep. where you had like a lead engineer who's just like a diva Ugh. yes and, and the product was never all that great because mm -hmm. basically everybody was like you know, kind of betas to his alpha and it was just just not fun Nobody yeah, learns never, anything. Everybody's getting pounded every day. It's not. It great. never goes well. You know, no. that that definitely brings down team morale. And there's so few jobs nowadays, I think, even in development where you're going to be the only developer so you can make all those choices and feel superior and do all that stuff. 
Because unless you're building some very small thing or you're a startup of one, you're going to be working with people in a team. Yeah. So it's a lot easier when you're nice and everybody gets along and can feel like they're in a safe space to ask questions and make mistakes and try stuff that might not work than it is to be afraid of trying anything because they're going to get their head bitten off if they do. <laughs> exactly. So true. So true. All right. Well, I can take the I, I also don't have I'm, I'm looking for clever segues, but I can, <laughs> I can take the next one. I think my next sort of pick along these lines. (laughs) (laughs) The next one is that I think specialization is kind of important Mm. and that it's it's really good to be a specialist or to be really good in terms of trade-offs. I'd rather be really good at something than kind of good at a whole lot of things. And this this there's kind of some gray area here because you definitely want to you don't want somebody that just knows like one facet of an app or technology really well and is completely oblivious around everything else. But I find that having specialized skills can be really important in terms of things like career advancement, having something that you are kind of really well known for. If you think about popular names you know throughout the the software development world, chances are you know them because they're really good at something, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether they're a CSS expert, they know the JavaScript language really good. They know Webpack really good. I feel like being the the knowledgeable person about something can be important for just your company getting stuff done. And it can also be important for you personally about being the person that specializes in something. So like I said, there's some gray area. That doesn't mean like I think you should only focus on one thing because to be a software developer, you kind of have to know a whole bunch of things. But I wouldn't shy away from having the one thing, something you really like. Um, yes. Really something knowing like. it. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. the I think important that's... part. <laughs> something you wouldn't yeah. mind necessarily waking up at 2 a.m. to deal with, like mm-hmm. Webpack at 2 a.m. Can you deal with that? You know, kind of thing. Well, well, the thing is, too, if it's not something you like, you'll never actually, you won't be motivated to learn what yeah. you need to, to become a specialist. So if there is something you like, you know, consider really doubling down and just you know, making that, sort of your thing, because I think there's a lot of potential uh, for doing that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I think for more junior positions, they really try to stress full stack as being the thing that they're looking for. So they want you to be able to do front end and back end and maybe database stuff a little bit. And that's great. I understand that. It's good to get exposure, like TJ said, to kind of the whole process of building an application. And it's very, I think it's very beneficial early in your career to at least get to try all of those different things. But as time goes on, you'll probably notice that you gravitate more towards something than others. Maybe you really like building pipelines and seeing continuous integration stuff. Maybe you're really big into front end technologies and you love React. Maybe, you know, databases are your thing. So it's it is very good to have experience, but then I think, like he said, if you can find something that you really just enjoy doing more or kind of go towards, if there's a ticket for that, you pick it up, try and be better at that than basically everybody else mm-hmm. that you work <laughs> with. Try to be that person that they come to when they're having trouble and they're stuck and their flex box isn't working or their grid oh, yeah. just won't align. Yeah. Because not only does it make you a really good and valuable member of the team because you just kind of know that stuff, but you'll probably also be happy to sit down and work it out with them or teach them how to do it or 
you know, take a pass at it or something like that, which just helps the team move forward, teaches somebody something new and makes you look really good because you're like getting in there and helping and unblocking people, which is always a huge thing. Hey, folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, I, I have to complain. I mean, when I started in tech like 20 years ago, one of the first things they taught me was to use tail and grep to find the problem on a server. And uh, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, I have to say Raygun kind of solves that problem for me and picks up all the stuff that really is relevant to the request or whatever that came in. Um, I'm curious, do you find that with kind of the oldsters like me, a common thing or... I think there's definitely better approaches to solving some of these problems now. You know, I I always used to think of logging. I heard this great analogy once. It was like, you know, logging tools are like coffins. Things go in there. They very rarely come out, you know, um, and you feel safe because it's there. But there's so much noise. Understanding what's mm-hmm. important and what's not takes a lot of effort. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, often I talk about Raygun's crash reporting product as being like a black box flight recorder. Like, just tell me when the plane blows up because I need to fix that really urgently, <laughs> you know, um, and that's been hugely valuable. You don't need to tail that. That's true. You know, folks, you should just go get Raygun and then you can see when stuff breaks. What matters? You can get it at Raygun.com. They actually are doing a free trial. So go check it out. Yeah, and the level of how much specifying. So I'm not necessarily saying you should be the expert on like CSS variables or something really. <laughs> I, although if that's if that's your thing, you know, don't let me stop you. I, I even mean like for me, it was I worked out of college. The very first job I had was one that very much encouraged you to be to do a little bit of everything. So I did front end stuff. I did back end stuff. I did database stuff. I did a little bit of everything. And I found that out of all of those things, the stuff I liked working on the most was front end stuff. And Mm -hmm. eventually that led me to just getting good at JavaScript. And eventually it led to jobs that were front end focused. So that was all I did. And I found that I was happier doing things like that. I had more opportunities doing things like that. So it doesn't have to be just like really niche. It could just be like focusing on a type of development you really like and spending your time there if that's what you like doing. Mm-hmm. And and kind of bring this back into the realm of the practical because we are re- React Roundup. I would say hooks. Every team needs somebody on the team who really, really, really understands hooks and yeah. dependency array, yeah. things like if that. And if you're that person, I'll drop my email in the show notes. You can <laughs> reach out. Uh, there's so many folks so. who have issues with, you know, why doesn't this use effect work? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, and that, like, so what else is there? I would say um, auth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so mm-hmm. hard. Routing, another mm-hmm. big one. Everybody needs a, Gosh, every team needs whoever is going to understand the React router or whatever you're using. <laughs> and then whatever your chosen statement is, assuming your your state management isn't with hooks, then uh, whatever yeah. that is, like your, your Redux person mm-hmm. on a lot of teams or your MobX person or whatever. You know, somebody who's kind of, I guess, not even, not often is it an official role? It's just like, that's the person that you go to or that's the person who's really going to look yep. the PR. Like, oh, okay. Have you modeled yep. that the right way? Oh, wait, hold on. We already had that piece of data. It's over here. You just didn't go find it kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we've got one one guy on our team who's definitely like the GitHub action CI, CD person. It's like, if you need to set up a new pipeline or get anything running, this is the person that you turn to and ask them to do it because... He'll do it 
in half the time it would take the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out that's a really handy skill to have around, like things like that. Like yes. you'll notice too that the stuff that, especially like if you can get good at one of these like harder niche problems, like you'll find yourself to be an invaluable asset. Like if mm-hmm. I if they have an auth expert or a hooks expert, like man, that's just going to be a gift that keeps giving, <laughs> <laughs> just in terms of the value to the the company or just to yourself personally. And there's so much people worry about, well, yeah, obviously imposter syndrome and also, you know, getting layoffs and things like that and not being laid off. Having that sense of I am the so-and-so on the team and they need me for this role, that can give you a lot of sense of I have yeah. my I have a stable, you know, job here. And then when you're going th- through other interviews and talking to other companies, you're like, okay, you know, I'm, you know, I was on the team and I handle all kinds of bugs, but my, I did have this specialty around this and maybe they'll ask you questions in that area and maybe you'll be their person, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the kind of person where when you're talking about at the end of the interview cycle, like, ooh, do we want that person? Oh, yeah. You know, that guy, that, that's, he knows that. Kind of like, yep. know that. Hey, but I have yeah, a segue. You- okay, you ready for this? So this segues in nicely into take <laughs> code reviews really seriously. Mm-hmm. So I, PRs, people overlook them. It's like, oh, I'm at the end of the day. I need to get this thing out the door. You know, I, I'm just going to like approve, 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 approve. Mm-hmm. You know, companies like this, teams, like as a cultural thing, they often, many, good. the, the good teams will take code reviews really seriously, right? And you should spend, you know, a good percentage of your time in the code review. And I would say also, and, and adding really good value to it, making sure, and, and try it one, and then from people creating code reviews, keep the, the code change small, you know, don't, yes. like yes. the 80 file commits, man, really, oh. please stop. No. Like, <laughs> right. And then the other thing is, and I think we page, you know, we talked about this, like just at the beginning, you're going to get really smushed on these code reviews because you're going to come in. It's, you know, the style that you use in code school isn't going to be what they're going to do here, that sort of stuff. So understand that that's probably going to happen and don't take it personally. Right. They're just mm-hmm. trying to, to get you on the team. They, and, it, and it's just like it's like getting a text. You know, you're not like it, there's a lot of context lost. Maybe they're trying to be funny in the in the text, in the comment, but it doesn't come off as funny because in text. Don't take it personally. Like it, it, the first couple of code reviews are going to be. Funny. Yeah. And one thing that I would say it, to kind of add on to that, and I've I didn't really experience it with my first team, but I have with the team that I'm currently with is that a lot of times not only will whoever is reviewing the code point out things that they think could be improved or, you know, little typos or things like that, but they'll also point out things that they really liked about the code. And I think that that is super important and something that we should try and do as reviewers all the time. Like I see some really smart code or some, some you know, nice thing that fixes some little issue or something. And I love giving, you know, thumbs up or clapping hands or all sorts yeah. of different stuff because it's it's really good when people do that. And it's really, it feels really nice when people are like, yes, I could not figure that thing out. And you went and fixed it. Good job. You know, that's that's also a huge part of it. It shouldn't just be, this is wrong, fix it. It should also be, that was a really nice way that you solved that problem. Yeah, I've never seen that before. That was great. Yeah. There, have you heard of the sandwich technique? Yes. Yeah, well, so... So the idea I have, you, I have not. So you should you should define this. <laughs> All right. Okay. Here we go. So uh, it's it's you give. I mean, think about it like a sandwich. They so give good news, bad news, good news. 
Right? So, oh, oh, I really, okay. with PR, wow, it really <laughs> solves the thing that we wanted you to solve, you know, whatever, however flowery you want to get it. But then, like, right in the middle, it's like, but um, <laughs> we don't really do it that way. And then, you know, kind of come in at the end and say, again, just want to reiterate, beautiful, well played, not, you know, I mean, well, you know, well thought out, trying to find something good in it. And so, you know, people just like that. You know, they don't, if you just come at them with the bad news, you know, you got to sandwich it. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I like to do too, when I am on the reviewing side of PR is, is I try to differentiate between things that I have that are just like suggestions or sort of mm -hmm. comments versus things that I think are actually like important. So like, I might just say as a suggestion, like you might want to consider refactoring this. So this isn't dependent on this or whatever. Cause because sometimes you can also realize like you can get very pedantic on these sort of PRs, <laughs> which which can cost real time, right? Because sometimes things that you might like to be a different style or work a different way are also things that aren't going to cause any actual issues that you don't necessarily want to <laughs> cause somebody to spend hours refactoring just, just to do it. Um, <laughs> so sometimes though, but sometimes by leaving those suggestions, the other person will think like, oh, wow, that really is actually better. I think I could do some things. So I like leaving those comments, but just making it clear like, hey, this is just a suggestion. You can take or leave this, right? I'm just going to toss this out here versus something you see that's like, okay, I can, I, this is going to cause a bug or like this is clearly like a problem. This is going to create real issues. Like, Make sure to specify that as well, right? Like this is an actual important thing to fix because I think differentiating between the two makes your PR comments a lot easier to read through to see like, okay, what are the important things versus the the kind of trivial things? So I try to I try to do that as well because I've, I've found when other people have done that for me, it's been helpful as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it may be that it's a really good suggestion, but it's just too big in the scope of whatever it is you're working on. So maybe you, you know, you yeah. throw another chore in the backlog afterwards and be like, this was great, but it just didn't make sense in the PR that I was submitting. Yeah, like maybe like this, I love this change, but when we do, but if we introduce this, it doesn't look so great on mobile. Let's create a ticket to address mm -hmm. this or something like that, because I don't think it makes sense to do now. So, you know, something like that, you run into those sorts of things all the time. Yeah. And that's that's actually a really good one to kind of piggyback <laughs> off, which is don't don't get too attached to your code. Oh, and my this gosh. is something that happens. Yeah. It definitely happens to us all We're really proud of something. It took us, you know, however long to write this insanely complex X, Y, Z. And then somebody, either product or users or someone is like, we need to refactor this whole thing, get rid <laughs> of this code, re scrap it. And it's it feels awful in the moment, but it's for the benefit of your users. It's for the benefit of the code base. It's for there's some reason that we're getting rid of this code and it's not it shouldn't be taken personally. <laughs> yeah, in general, too, in software development, you this is more like a like a product manager type thing. But usually you try to design features like that so that they can be tested and experimented with before you throw like, or you try to design something so that you can see if there's user interest before you really, really commit to it, right? Yeah. Like maybe ship a small part of it, then check your analytics. Are people using this? Are they engaging with this before we add 20 different, seven different ways to filter or graph this data, right? Like, let's, <laughs> let's make sure, let's make sure people actually, yeah, make sure yeah. people actually want this first so that hopefully, because I, I find lots of times one reason you get so, attached to your code is just the sheer amount of effort you put into it. Because mm -hmm. 
it's like anything that you worked on for a year. If, if I work on anything for a year, I'm going to feel some sense of wanting to see that have some value. None of us want our lives to feel pointless, right? If I, <laughs> if I, if I spent a year on my keyboard typing something up, I wanted to actually go off and do something useful for people. So as like a, from a PM perspective, you want to try to make sure people don't get put into those sort of situations too, where you, you kind of make sure that you're shipping incrementally, making sure stuff is actually useful, going to be used, that sort of thing as well. I think there's a good story online of like, I think it was Etsy that did, they were the ones who really got into like A-B testing first off, because they spent like six months building infinite scroll and building all the API support, blah, 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 blah. And then it went out and you were like, they it actually engagement went down. On, <laughs> and yeah. Like, okay, this was... Users didn't like it. We just we just blew it, and we blew it for like the entire, basically the entire company. Okay. And so they they ended up going with exactly what you're saying, which is like always like making the most minute changes, and then seeing is this the right thing to do? Is this increase engagement or whatever you know their metric was? You know, obviously conversions. I'm guessing, yeah, but very small changes. The unfortunately, I have a story along these same lines as well. The the very first the, in, the insurance company that I worked with right out of college. Big insurance company, at the time they had decided, when I first started working there, public internet quoting was just starting to become a thing. So Progressive was just starting to run commercials. You can get an auto quote online, which was a big deal back 15 years ago, uh, 20 years ago sort of thing. And my company being like an older enterprise company decided, well, we need a system like this too, right? Because if Progressive can do it, if Geico can do it, we need one of these as well. And so I was on a team that spent over a year building one of these systems. We built it just for one state. And at the very end of this, we deployed this. It went out to production. The company decided that the public quoting model was just not a good idea. It was just a failed premise. Like that's the thing that made them unique was that they're not a competitor to Progressive or Geico and they couldn't actually compete with things like that. So it was it was all just a big... The code base was, I've learned, I left that company, but I've learned that code was, is completely deleted as like within like a year or so of me leaving. And so it, it does feel like I, it's, it's easy to say you shouldn't feel any like commitment to your code. But like when you go through a process like that, you really feel it, right? Cause you like, I've put a lot of work into that. Like yeah, you kind of yeah. want to see it do something (laughs) so it gets frustrating when you go through things like that oh completely Mm -hmm. yeah i I think if you if you have zero interest in the code it's really hard to wake up in the morning and want to write it right yeah and everybody's gonna have those days where whatever you're working on is just not really exciting to you but if it's if that's every day and you really just dread working on a project then you probably need to start thinking about finding a new a new team, a new project, something to yeah, you know, get you excited again. <laughs> yep. DJ, you got cool. a great segue for us? I don't have a great segue, <laughs> but uh, maybe I do. I don't know. Well, I feel right. like this is a this is a tip that might be a good one that's worth ending on because I feel like it's a constant theme that we've had on this show. And that's that the code isn't always the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in junior development, you kind of get this sense, especially if you go through things like coding boot camps and stuff that the way to get ahead in coding is to be the person that's the best at React syntax or the, mm. the, the person who knows like 
the way that these algorithms work the best. And that stuff is important, but there's a lot of other stuff that's important to being a software developer as well that can get into more architectural things, but that can even just get into life skills, just being really good at dealing with people, being able to write, being able to read really, really well, being aware of what's going on in the programming world, events, mm -hmm. which technologies are up and coming, how to evaluate different technologies. Lots of things like that are lots, in many cases, more important than knowing the syntax for how React hooks work or things like <laughs> right. that. And I, I think it helped tend you get to get farther in your career and also to just be a more valuable person in terms of just being a software developer throughout your career. That was the most consistent piece of feedback I got in the video was learn the business domain. You know, yeah. learn what you're getting into. Yes. If you're getting into, I, I'm in DNA stuff currently, and I'm kind of like learning that as I go. And one, it's fascinating, which is mm -hmm. great. But two, there's just so much when when the product manager says, you know, we need to do X, Y, and Z, if they need to uh, like really get in, like it's just hard to, to really be able to construct a design, a model for something unless you actually know like, oh, this could be like, if they have to go through every single detail, what, oh, this thing could have eight values or this thing could have two you should just know that, right? And so you don't have to know that coming in, but like keep them open minds, be curious about what, what the features are that you're building, try mm -hmm. the product out, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, it's one thing to come to work every day and just pick up the next story in the backlog and mm -hmm. work on it. But if you can actually understand the value that it's bringing to the product that you're building or the users who are using it, or even ask questions and make suggestions for how it could be improved. That is so incredibly valuable to the company, to the team, to everybody. And I think it's something that is really under, we don't talk about it. You just kind of start to get a feel for it as you're at with a team longer and as you have a better understanding of the business that you're in. But if you can do that early on and start to understand what is the bigger problem that I'm trying to solve for my users and how is my application going to help do that, I think you'll be able to bring a lot of value a lot quick, more fat or a lot, a lot more, a lot faster. Wow. Really had a, <laughs> a <laughs> moment there, but you'll be able to bring a lot of value faster to the team yeah. and hopefully improve, you know, whatever it is that you're building and make an even better experience for your users. So that's a huge one. Yeah. And the product manager, a filter of a sort, they're probably thinking, oh, that would be hard to implement. And this would be yes. easy to implement. I don't think I've ever seen it, that line up anytime. It's like anything no. that they think is going to be easy to implement is always the hardest thing. <laughs> yes. It's like that involves AI. You know, we, <laughs> what? You know, or, or <laughs> anything that they think is insanely difficult, like that filter. It's like, no, no, no. That's like a two minute job to add a filter like this built into the table. You know, kind of thing. No, I really like the domain knowledge point. It's, it's, it's super interesting because just to give one concrete example of this, Paige and I both work in an IoT world today. And one of the things Blues does is it sends out hardware to most everybody that works there to, to try and to tinker with. Yeah. And Paige and I are not electrical engineers. We are no. uh, nowhere close <laughs> to that. But I feel like even just the act of setting some of these things up and using them has helped inform a lot of the decisions we make when actually writing code because you run into things like my stuff, like I have trouble powering these stupid things on all the time, right? So <laughs> I've realized when I build a dashboard, like seeing the battery, the voltage and stuff is actually kind of important right. or like getting like alerts when the battery is low because I've, I've hit these sort of problems 
myself, right? Yeah. So just little things you learn can help inform the decisions and how you think about the things that you are building. So I'll definitely plus one to your your commenters. <laughs> That's super important knowledge to have. In fact, you're the most ideally suited to bring that to the team because any of it, maybe the other folks on the team are, are veterans of IoT and like they don't ever have battery problems because they know right. to whatever charge up or not or whatever it is, right? But you have unique insight because you can represent the person who is just getting into IoT because that's you. Yeah, yep. it's a valuable position to be in when you're new to anything because you can oh, yeah. bring that that really good outside perspective that you have, you know, no prior preconceived notions, no prior experience, which is really valuable to any team because we get so into our code bases and our products and whatever that things quirks that you don't even think about as a seasoned developer, somebody else will hit and ask, why is it like this? And that may be a great you know, reason to fix it or change it or do something that would help improve everybody's experience. The hidden value of being an imposter. Yes. Right? Everybody <laughs> thinks it's a bad thing. You, it, It's actually a good thing in some way. That needs to be the title of your next YouTube video. Yeah. Jack, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. I just picturing the YouTube thumbnail, right? You've got the like cloak over your face or whatever. Like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> how to not beat imposter syndrome, how to embrace imposter syndrome. <laughs> exactly. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Okay. Well, uh, you mentioned it before. Let's, let's do our picks. Paige, you want to start us off with some picks? Sure. So a lot of good stuff has been coming out on Netflix and streaming services oh, yeah. recently. And the pick that I'm going to go with is what I've been watching most recently, which is the second season of Bridgerton on mm. Netflix. So if you're not familiar with it, it's, I think it's based on a book series, which I have not read, but I'm, I'm planning to buy because I enjoyed the series, the show so much. But it's it's like a perfect Gilded Age of England, but even better because it's not really based on true stories. It's just set in this picturesque English London kind of setting. And everybody is super rich and the costumes are ridiculous and everybody is really good looking and it's... <laughs> So it's really fun because it's it's very romance driven, but there's also, you know, sword fights and carriage mm. shootouts and people racing around on horses. So there's a little bit of something for everyone. So if you're looking for kind of a Gilded Age escapist type of thing, I would say that it's definitely worth a watch. My wife is a big fan and she says mm -hmm. the books are really good for what it's oh, worth. Nice. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to be picking those up. My wife is also a big fan and I, you know, I, my office is near the TV room. And so I walk past it and I'll see like, you know, this is gorgeous. Like, it's yeah. just, I mean, oh my God, like the, the colors are so vibrant. 
and the costume. And he's just, it's brilliant. And, you know, it's, it's like I, I often whinge about how bad like TV has gotten in terms of like being dark. Like mm-hmm. you just can't see things. Yeah. Like Bridgerton is like the absolute opposite of that. It will use every single RGB <laughs> value your TV can put out. <laughs> and more. Yes. No, it's funny that you say that, too, because I'm the same way. My wife will have it on and I, I won't know like the greater plot or anything, but I can totally get sucked into okay. watching for five or ten minutes here or there because it's just so gorgeous. Right. The people, exactly. the, 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 people like the scenery, the, the, the costumes, everything's everything. gorgeous. It's just perfect. And you're like, well, yeah, OK, that's great. All right, TJ, you got a good pick for us. My pick is going to be children's museums, or I guess specifically if you are in Michigan, I'll pick the Ann Arbor Hands-On Museum for if you happen to be close to it. But we've actually got a good one here in Lansing, too, called Impression 5. But uh, these museums are kind of fun, both, I mean, especially if you have kids, that's sort of the idea. But even for adults, they can be a lot of fun. Maybe rent somebody else's kid, like a nephew or a a friend or something like that, if if you feel embarrassed to go by yourself. But I just sort of get fascinated by the engineering that goes into some of these contraptions that they put together. Uh, The one in Ann Arbor had one that was trying to demonstrate how packets work, like computer, like how it it divides bytes up into packets. And it had this visualization where it had a world map up on the wall and it had balls that started in a pattern and then moved around the world. These balls like physically traveled between these spots on the map but would always end up on the other end in the same order that they started with, despite them taking these different paths. And I was just sort of absolutely enthralled by this. Like my (laughs) wife was like dragging me out of this. My kids were probably dragging me out of the the place as well. That it's, it's so cool. They, I don't know. They had, they had a hamster wheel, like that you could actually like run on like a human sized one. (laughs) Yeah. They had some like plaques or whatever to explain some of the science behind what it was doing and stuff. But or you could just run on a wheel yeah, and just have fun doing that as well. So if you have something like that in your area, I, I'd recommend checking it out. Absolutely. If you're in the Bay Area, there's the Exploratorium. And uh, and then I think up here in Portland, there's OMSI, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Science and Industry Museum, Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. Very good. It's yeah. also got one of those kind of exploratory it- rooms. Is that the one by the there's there's something by the zoo in Portland, isn't there? Because I, I actually um, took my kids there years ago. And there's a, a literal like part of the exhibitory. I'm not sure whether it's exactly associated with it. It's a, it's a nuclear submarine, Ooh. like oh. literally like right on the on the water. And I, one of these days I'll go on to the submarine. I, I <laughs> it's one of those things. I think COVID happened. I mean, kind of yeah. Ruined my, my submarine idea. <laughs> yeah. If you're in the St. Louis area where I grew up, there's a ton. There's the Science Center, which is free. There is the Magic House, which is awesome for younger kids because it's just this house that expands and expands. Ooh, it's yeah. got all kinds of cool stuff, exactly like TJ is talking about. And then there's also one that's more, it's less scientific. It's more just really fun. And it's called the City Museum. And it's like a five-story building that they've turned into this indoor, outdoor kind of explorer exploratorium, I guess, is the best way to describe it. You know, you you can walk into a whale and then suddenly you're climbing through the rafters and it's just, it's super fun. So yeah, those things are the, the best. I want to take a whole summer and just go around the country and go to all these places, you know? It'd be so, just, fun. It's so cool. You're right. It yeah. is like the way that they make the exhibits is almost more, is as interesting as, as the exhibits themselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like how they visualize it and all that. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to do a technical thing for my pick. And that's actually, I'm on the side, kind of a Rails person. I've been a Rails person for like a a long long time since Rails 1. 
And they just came out with, well, I'm not sure they just came out with it or just whatever. Hotwire is out. And it's a very interesting thing, I think, from a, the angle of a React developer looking at this technology, which is essentially around trying to do dynamic behavior on the browser without actually adding any JavaScript without writing your own JavaScript, I will say. There's a lot of JavaScript involved. There's 78 you know, K of, of, of JavaScript on the page to make this happen. But none of it is JavaScript you have to write. And it's actually really fascinating. And I think as a, a developer, sometimes we think too much about like, you know, how do we get really good at React? And then we don't realize that like React is one vein of thought about how to deal with a browser. Like there is Remix, which is mm -hmm. doing like the kind of form posting stuff that we used to do five, 10 years ago. And if you haven't had an experience, and, and for a lot of React devs, they will have never seen that. And that's really good to learn because I think there's a decent percentage chance that we will go back to that. Uh, and then this is another way, like looking at the world, like, okay, so how does how do the Rails folks think about the world? Maybe there's something that I can take from that as an idea and, and how to architect my React apps in a way that doesn't necessarily feel like our usual, like, post some JSON, get some JSON back, render it, blah, 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 you know, kind of, that sort of thing. So anyway, something good to look at and to like, stretch your, your skills as an engineer. Nice. Good stuff. All right. Well, this has been, uh, this is a blast. I always love these panelist episodes. It's so much fun yeah. just hanging with you guys and just talking about stuff. Yeah. Great. <laughs> All right. Well, we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. See you then. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.